Well, thank you to Charity and Nick. I know they were filling in for Tom and Jeff is up here filling in for Greg. So thanks for doing that last minute, Jeff. And then also during communion tonight, uh, my wife was not able to be here tonight. She's got a, a neck thing going on. She's fine, but she needed to stay home and rest that. Normally she should serve, would serve communion with me. So Pastor Jeff is also filling in for her. And so we will be serving communion together. That'll be a first. Normally communion is served by a husband and a wife. And tonight one of the couples will be me and Jeff. So I just wanted to make that clear in case you're visiting tonight. He's just filling in for my wife. He couldn't. Some of you are familiar with Tim Keller. He was a pastor for many years, uh, Redeemer Church in New York City, and he tells this story. The story is one where he compares the people in his church to an old Coke machine in his Manhattan apartment building. Most of you have had this experience with a vending machine. You put the quarters in, and you push the button and nothing happens. So what do you do? You take your fist and you bang the side of the box until you hear the coins trickle down into the heart of the machine and out drops your Coke. So Dr. Keller would say that as he got up on Sundays and preached, from week to week, he would think of his audience as an assembly of Coke machines. And he needed to pound the same truth over and over again if it was going to settle into the hearts of his people and produce any kind of spiritual fruit. I do not think of you as old Coke machines, but I get his point. And the truth that you and me, the truth that we need to hear over and over again, the truth that we need pounded into our heads is the gospel. It is the gospel. The truth we need pounded into our heads is not you can do anything you set your mind to. The truth that we need pounded into our heads is not follow your heart. The truth that we need pounded into our heads is not about the power of the human spirit. The truth that we need pounded into our heads is not biblically speaking, even the law, but it is the gospel. And that is essentially what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He is pounding this truth of the gospel into the Corinthians so that it will settle 
into their hearts. So that's going to be our same goal as we work through this chapter starting tonight. That the gospel will be pounded into our heads so that if we know anything, if we believe anything, if we hold on to anything, it is the truth of the gospel. But first, will you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would reach us with your word by your spirit today and that our hearts would be changed, that our minds would be changed, and that our wills would be changed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here is verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Paul begins, you see, with this word, now. Signaling that he is changing directions. He is moving on from four chapters of correction and now he is moving in to one chapter on the importance of the gospel especially and we'll see this in weeks to come the resurrection of Jesus and Paul makes this goal he makes it very plain in those first nine words that I just read he is what he is reminding the Corinthians of the gospel. Why? Why is he reminding them of the gospel? Why isn't he reminding them of the law? Why isn't he reminding them of their history as a people? Why isn't he, as he writes this letter, reminding them of his authority? Well, look, if, if we sneak into the beginning of verse 3, we'll study it next week, but if we just sneak in there, we're given a general reason, one that holds true today. Paul gives this as the reason for his reminder. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. So Paul delivered to the Corinthians the gospel. And he delivered the gospel to the Corinthians because it is of first importance. The gospel in Paul's mind is number one. It is of first importance. That doesn't mean first in a sequence. That doesn't mean first this and then that and then that. It doesn't mean first sequentially, but first in significance. The gospel is first 
in significance, meaning it is above everything else. It is over everything else the gospel is. So it's no wonder. Paul said way back in chapter 1, verse 17, Christ sent me to preach the gospel. And in 9.16, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And in 9.23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. So in Paul's mind, he's reminding the Corinthians of the gospel because it is of first importance. Now, I think it would probably be foolish for me to assume that we all understand what the gospel is or that we all are thinking the same thing when we hear this word gospel. So let me lay it out for us quickly. The word gospel, it is this Greek word evangelion and it means literally good news. It means news that is so important that it needs to be heralded, it needs to be spread, it needs to be distributed. It is news that has to get out. So gospel means that kind of news. And the gospel is from Genesis to Revelation, first book of the Bible, last book of the Bible. It is the central message of the entire Bible. And it is made crystal clear in the New Testament. The good news is not that we are good people. The good news is not that God is love. The good news is not that Jesus wants to be your friend. The good news is this. Though you are a great sinner, Jesus is a great Savior. That's a summary of the gospel. You and 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 me, we are great sinners. We are profound sinners. We are gifted sinners. Yet Jesus, He is the great Savior. Able to save each and every one of us. Romans 5.8 But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not we became good people. We became enlightened. We got better. We kicked this habit. We overcame this. We conquered that. And then Jesus died for us. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the good news is that Jesus came. And that He lived and He suffered and He died and He rose from the dead. And He came and lived and died in the place of sinners like you and me so that we could be reconciled to God. He paid the price of my sin and He satisfied 
God's requirements. He satisfied God's law in my place, obeying it perfectly. So that when I place my trust and faith in Him, I am seen as righteous as Jesus. That's good news. It's good news that needs to spread. It is good news that is of first importance. So that is the message. That is the content of the gospel. And Paul's going to get into more detail on the gospel, starting in the second half of verse 3. But first, before Paul gets into the message of the gospel, in our text tonight, Paul describes the movement of the gospel. And I hope you look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Movement. The gospel, since Jesus has been moving throughout the world, it has a course, the gospel does. It has a course that it takes into and through every Christian. And Paul here, he describes that movement of the gospel in verses 1 and 2 in three steps. And we'll look at each of them. If you're taking notes, here they are. Number one, a Christian receives the gospel. Number two, a Christian stands in the gospel. And number three, a Christian holds fast to the gospel. Let's start with the first, which Paul draws attention to in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. So the Corinthians, about five years prior to Paul writing this letter, so five years ago, they received the gospel from him. They received it because Paul came and he preached it to them. And where did Paul get this gospel? Well, look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. You see, before Paul could deliver this message of the gospel to the Corinthians, he himself had to receive it. And he did. You could go back to the book of church history, the book of Acts. You could read chapter 9 where he receives the gospel from Jesus himself. So this is the first step. This is the first movement of the gospel. A Christian receives the gospel. The gospel is an unchanging message that must be passed on from person to person. And the word Paul uses is then received. It's not something that we invent. 
It's not something that we make up. It's not something that we update. It's not something that we add to or subtract from. It is something that is unchanging, that has to be delivered to us, that has to be preached to us, and then we have to receive it. So here we are. Many of you Christians. We're almost 2,000 years after Paul wrote this letter. And we are hearing the same exact message. It has not been changed. And many of us, we have received it. Meaning, we have believed it as truth. Not just we heard it. Not just we considered the gospel. But we have believed it as truth. Down in verse 11, Paul says, Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. You see the word he uses in verse 11 for received is believed. John 1.12 describes many of us to all who did receive him that is Jesus, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, God gave the right to become children of God. So this is the first movement of the Gospel. It settles into the heart of a believer. A Christian receives the gospel. Well, what's next? Let's keep reading this text. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. The Greek word here is istimi, and it means to stand one's ground or to maintain one's position. There have been many war movies over the years that have depicted the idea of these words. A group of soldiers are on the front line of battle. And they are under heavy enemy attack. They are considering retreat or they are requesting evacuation. And the daunting command comes through the crackling radio. Hold your position. Hold your position. Stand in the gospel. The great preacher Samuel Lewis Johnson, he put that this way. You have taken your stand in the possession of the life 
that comes from our great God in heaven through the gospel. Where are you standing? In your life today, where are you standing? What truth are you standing on? On what belief have you built your life upon? Christian, it should be, I am a great sinner and he is a great savior. A Christian receives the gospel. A Christian stands in the gospel. And now third, a Christian holds fast to the gospel. Let's read it again, verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. That last phrase, unless you believed in vain, that is here, but it is for later in the text. Paul means that we are not being saved if we believe in a gospel that is not true. We would be believing in vain. We would actually be a people who should be pitied. But he plants that seed here and he'll address it in verses 12 and following later on in the chapter. But Paul says in, in this verse, in verse 2, he says that we as Christians who have received the gospel and who stand in the gospel, he says we are also being saved by it. It's not something we're doing. That's something that's being done to us. We are being saved by the gospel. That means that through our belief, our faith, in Jesus, through our belief in the gospel, that we have been saved from the penalty of sin and we are being saved from the power of sin. If you're a Christian, you've been saved from the penalty of sin. You are not going to suffer the penalty of sin, which would be eternal alienation from God which would be hell. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. And we are being saved from the power of sin. Pastor Jeff mentioned it. Not one of us has been totally saved from the power of sin yet. And you've probably testified to that today through your words, through your actions, and through your thoughts, or yesterday or the day before. 
It's clear, isn't it, that all of us are still to a degree under the power of sin. But we are being saved from that. It takes time. We are daily by God. Through this gospel, we are being changed into better people. That is, more like Jesus. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if... And now here's this third movement of the gospel. You hold fast to the word I preached to you. Isn't this what Paul is saying? The gospel is changing you if you hold fast to it. Or another way of saying that, the gospel is changing you as you hold fast to it. Let me read you two other verses in the Bible that use these same words. So we get an idea of what it means to hold fast to the gospel. Luke 8.15 As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. They hold the truth. They hold the word. They hold the gospel. They hold it fast in an honest and good heart. They hold the gospel tightly with total sincerity. Hebrews 10.23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. We hold tight to our confession that we believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was and did what he says he did. We hold fast to this confession. Holding fast, Paul writes, to the word preached. That is a description of faith. This is a description of daily believing the gospel. This is a description of hourly believing the gospel. Holding fast to it. Are you? Are you holding fast to the gospel? What are you holding fast to? What are you holding on to? What won't you let go? Are you holding fast to the gospel? If you're not, 
Could this be why you're not changing? Could this be why you're filled with doubts? Could that be why you are filled with fear? Could that be the very root of your priority problems? That you're not holding fast to the gospel? After all, Paul says the gospel, it is of first importance. The key to change, friends. The, the key to change, the key to joy, the key to overcoming doubt and fear and worry and anxiety, the, the key to holiness, the key to survival, the key to the abundant life that Jesus talks about. It is holding fast to the gospel. This may seem odd to you, but when I was a kid, and actually on into my early 20s, I was sure that the gospel was for unbelievers. The gospel... I thought was for people who were not Christians. The gospel was for evangelism. The gospel was for, it was this message for people who didn't know Jesus that, that they needed to hear and that they needed to receive. But then as Christians, we would move on to to bigger truths, I thought. To deeper truths, I thought. And then the next time I'm in an elevator with a non-Christian, I bring out the gospel again. And I deliver it to them and I preach it to them. But otherwise, the gospel, it sits on a shelf. But you see, that is not the case. We do not. Does the text say we receive the gospel and put it away? Does it say that we, we, we receive the gospel and like the special china, we put it in the hutch and we bring it out for special occasions? No, these are the plates you eat on every single meal. This is the silverware you use every single meal over and over and over again. Don't put that away. you got to stand in it. you got to hold fast to it. One author has said that the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. It's of first importance. The gospel, it is this truth that fills your heart to overflowing. The gospel is, is this truth and it is the only truth that has this ability. 
It, it is this truth that comes into your heart, and as you hold fast to it, it fills your heart, it overflows your heart, and it pushes out fear. And it pushes out doubts. And it pushes out loneliness. And it pushes out feelings of inadequacy. And all this junk and all this garbage, all these lies that can weigh us down, that can despair us, that can threaten to destroy us. The gospel is this truth that when, if, Paul says, if, when we hold fast to it, it pushes all of this out. Are you proud? You need to believe the gospel that you are so sinful that God had to die for you. You should not be proud. Are you on the other side of that teeter-totter? Are you in despair? You must believe the gospel because the gospel teaches you that you are so loved that God died for you. Did you hear that together? Are you proud? You are so sinful, God had to die for you. Are you in despair? You are so loved that God willingly died for you. This is the gospel. Are you lonely? God knows you and he loves you. God knows you better than anyone knows you. You've heard me say this before. The more you know me, the more reasons you have to not love me. I mean, what you see, this is my best. You get my very best, week in, week out, 35, 40 minutes. This is my best. You come in and meet with me, you get my best. If you followed me home, if you climbed inside my brain and listened to my judgmental thoughts, listened to me get critical of the people I love, if you watched me lose my temper, heard me raise my voice, mistreat other people, get loose with my tongue. And there's not more reasons to love me. Those are less reasons to love me. Listen, God knows you. He knows everything about you and he loves you, Christian. When we're lonely, we need to know that. Are you crippled by negative self-consciousness? You just think terribly about yourself over and over again. 
Maybe people who were supposed to say good things to you have said bad things to you. Maybe people who were supposed to pour into you used you. Maybe people taught you that you're not valuable. That you've got these thoughts that just, they just run on a wheel in your mind and most of your day is just trying to crowd them out and be distracted by it. And I would say, bring it on if you hold fast to the gospel because you are, because of the gospel, Christian, you are accepted by God. As you are right now, God's grace meets you. And He has saved you and He loves you and He has promised to change you. And at the end of the day, that's the only opinion that counts. In conclusion, it's no wonder that we need to be reminded of the gospel. It's no wonder. We become so easily distracted. We lose sight of the gospel. It's not a new problem. In fact, here's what Martin Luther had to say about it 500 years ago. Here I must take counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel which teaches me not what I ought to do, for that's the office of the law, but the gospel teaches me what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, that he suffered and he died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel, it calls me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also, Luther goes on, it is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine. That's what Paul just said in 1 Corinthians 15.3. Wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this gospel well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. Which is exactly what Paul means to do in this chapter. Where are you at with the gospel tonight? Have you received the gospel? Are you standing in the gospel? Are you holding fast to the gospel? To which area of your life does this gospel need to be applied? May God use these words in reminding us of the gospel and how it moves in and through us as believers that we receive it, 
We stand in it. We must hold fast to the gospel. In preparation for communion, let me read you what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 again, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're here visiting with us tonight, we're about to take the Lord's Supper together. And if you are a Christian, you are a baptized believer, you have placed your faith in Jesus, and you are committed to a church, whether it's this or another one, that faithfully preaches the gospel, if that's you, you're welcomed, even as a visitor, to take the supper with us tonight. We're going to have a couple pairs of leaders that will come to all of you. If you'd put out your hands and we'll give you the bread and the juice. And then once you've received them, if you would sit back down. Stand up so we know you want communion. Then sit back down once we give it to you so that we know that everyone is served. And then if you could wait and we'll take communion together as a family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for this word tonight. Thank you for the way you've encouraged my heart even in preaching it. The gospel is something we could stare into and study for eternity and still never grasp its depth. But God, help us to hold fast to it. This truth that though we are great sinners, you are a great Savior. We celebrate this tonight. We remember and we proclaim the Lord's death because he has not yet returned. Be glorified in this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.